Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. In this interview, I get to talk to Katie Kohler, a former middle school teacher who made a really drastic career change after she struggled with burnout and depression and realized that teaching was not the right fit for her. In this episode, she shares a lot of great tips about how she prepared for interviews outside the classroom and some of the rejection that she faced from hiring managers during her hunt as well, something that I know many listeners can relate to. We also talk about what her district did as far as when she broke her contract mid-year, they threatened to, you know, fine her a large amount of money and how she was able to still leave the classroom and has not had to pay that fine. And we also get to talk about her journey from becoming a teacher to ultimately landing on a training position at a fintech company. So this is a short episode, but with a lot of really great information, and I'm excited for you to hear it. And without further ado, here it is. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I know that we were chatting a little bit before the interview even started, and I'd love to dive in to learning a little bit more about your customer training specialist position that you landed. But first, let's kind of start with the beginning. How long were you actually a teacher for? I was a teacher technically for three years, so four full school years, but I started in January. So I started halfway through the year when I got certified and then I quit in December. How long were you a teacher before you really started to think about actually leaving? So it was a little bit funky. So I had one regular year of teaching before COVID hit. And then when things started to get really bad with COVID, and things started to go downhill, I thought about leaving, but I really attributed it more to how COVID was, you know, I kind of blamed everything on COVID. And that's why like my position is so difficult and things are going to get better. And then once COVID was kind of wrapping up and schools were starting to go back to normal, things were not getting any better. Did you talk to any other teachers about how you were feeling during that time? 
Oh, constantly. I was actually really lucky. I had the absolute best teammates. Like my teammates were always really supportive. I worked with amazing teachers and they knew the whole time that I was like very deeply unhappy while I was working at my position. Yeah. I feel like there's so many ways that we can like try and downplay how we're feeling and blame it on external factors. Like, well, yeah, like COVID did impact everyone, but very in every industry people were struggling mentally with whether or not they were in a role that they wanted to do for the rest of their lives. But I feel like teachers constantly do that, like, oh, this is just the bad year. Maybe it's this is the year with the students, or this is my first year of teaching, or this is my second year of teaching, and I have to wait till I'm five years in. Or maybe if I change grade levels, like I'll get happier. And they always downplay, like, I'm truly unhappy. Did you feel like right off the bat, you you started to question whether or not it was the right career for you? The thing is, is that I was really good at it. So I had really strong classroom management. I was always really highly praised. So I felt like I'm, I'm good at this. Like this is my calling. Like I'm meant to do this. But I hid so much of my personal emotions behind like sarcasm and deflection and anger and humor. So people knew me as like the funny, like tough, sarcastic teacher. But that was all just like a mechanism to like hide the fact that I was like very very like deeply depressed. And like, I was really struggling with that internal conflict too, because I felt like because I was good at it, I should, I should stay in it. And I I need to do this. Like, this is what I'm meant to do. And that I held on to that for way too long. Did you have any teachers who were telling you to stay because you were a really good teacher? No, because my, my friends um, that surrounded me in teaching were so supportive. Like they totally understood why I wanted to leave. And when, after I left, I still, I still hang out with them and they, they tell me that I'm happier, that overall, like I'm much more relaxed. Like I was just angry all the time. And I kind of hid that behind like sarcasm and humor. So it was like kind of how they knew me. But once they knew me after teaching, they like were like, that was a great decision. Like, I'm, I'm glad you left. And like, a lot of people have also reached out to me to like find out what I did and if I like what I'm doing now. Yeah, that let's talk a little bit about that. So you left in December. Did you already have a job lined up in December when you left? Yes. So I started looking around October. October is when I decided that I like absolutely can't do this anymore. Um, I actually got in a big fight with my fiance. I was crying. And there was a point where I sat down and I was like, oh my God, like, I don't think I can teach anymore. And it kind of stopped the whole conversation. And he's like, you've never actually said that. And he's like, I think like we really need to explore that. So I started looking in October and I went really, really hard. Um, And I ended up getting a job right before Christmas break. So I was able to resign over Christmas. And that was of last year of 2021. Yep. When you started to break your teaching contract in the middle of the year, did you struggle with the guilt of leaving mid-year or any other like repercussions from your school district? I don't know about the guilt. I think I have to like really think on that because towards the end, I didn't feel guilty. Like my last couple of days, like I knew that I just needed to get out. Like I was so burnt out at that point, like guilt was the last thing in my mind. I faced a lot of repercussions from my school district. So I left a middle school position, which was very hard to fill in a very high needs district. So I think they tried to like throw the book at me a little bit to try and prevent other teachers from leaving because there was a big mass exodus as there usually is. There was a lot of turnover in the district I was in, but I was in my position for a long time. So when I decided to leave, they tried to take my teaching license and they tried to charge, I think it was like a $5,000 fine that they ended up trying to charge me with. And did they ultimately take that from you? No. So before I resigned, I did listen to your, your episode on breaking a teaching contract. And I read my contract really, really closely. 
and I looked for any kind of out. So I found an out that said that you can legally break the contract if you have a health concern, including mental health. So my resignation letter was short and sweet. It said, I'm resigning due to mental health concerns. I can no longer fulfill this position. That's why I'm not giving a full 30-day notice. Boom, like Katie Kolar. Thanks for the opportunity. And when they ultimately tried to then take my license, I sent, and I forget, I was actually, I wish I could find the email because I forget how I worded it, but I basically said like, I will take you to court over this or something not so nice because I already had another offer in hand that I signed. So at that point, I didn't care. And once I like threatened legal action because I read through my contract and I knew that was an out, they instantly dropped it all. So I still have my teaching license and they had to pay me out for the remainder of my contract. So they had to pay me my summer money. Oh, wow. For anybody who wants to go back and refer to the podcast episode that Katie just mentioned, it's episode 52 of the Teacher Career Coach podcast. It's all about breaking your teaching contract. So we talk about what are the quote unquote good reasons. And many districts do not think that finding another job is a good reason to leave teaching mid-year. And so many districts either can fine you or take your teaching contract. What we found in the past for years Most districts don't follow through with those threats, but if it is written into your contract, they're legally allowed to actually do those things. So it's a really big decision to make if you're leaving mid-year, but if you know that you're never returning back to teaching, many people also, you know, take the risk of potentially leaving. Did the company that you were interviewing for, did they ask you any questions about you leaving teaching mid-year? This is something that so many teachers get so afraid of. This was so funny. So the very first question that the person who called me, who's now my boss, asked me is, I have so many teachers in the Metro Denver area applying for this position. Like, what's going on in education? Like, I don't understand why there's so many teachers applying. And I was so guarded in my answer because I didn't want to frame my teaching as a negative, even though it was a major negative in my life at that point. But I said, I don't know why all those teachers are applying. I can tell you why I'm applying. Like, I realized that I really liked the tech aspect of teaching during the pandemic and I'm looking for growth opportunities. And I tried to like put it in that really positive light, but that was the very first thing they asked. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Perfect response. 100% the perfect response. Because if you come to those conversations, they're making an inference. They can, if you're applying for a job, they know that you're dissatisfied with the pay. They know you're dissatisfied with some sort of the responsibilities with potentially like who 
your manager is, but you never want to frame it in a negative light. And right now, I think that's a really big roadblock for many teachers is they think that they should come to these interviews and just be, you know, authentic about you're seeing what's happening. You know that this is like a poop show that's going on in education, right? But what hiring managers hear is that you're actually not excited about the role in front of you and that you're more focused on getting out of a situation. And that's a recipe for disaster. It would be like if you're going on like a date with someone and they're like, oh, why did you want to go on a date with me? And it's like, oh, because I hate my ex. I needed to go on a date with anyone but my ex. Like you're not going to land a job in that way. So you framing it like, oh, I actually have no idea what's going on with those other people. but I'm the most excited about this, this, and this is such a perfect answer. Did you have any ends in like the technology industry? Did you do any sort of like networking or informational interviews? Or was it mostly just like listening to this podcast? I listened a lot to this podcast and I looked up as many free resources as I could find when it came to like changing my resume, getting on LinkedIn. And I applied to, I think, 150 jobs in two months. So I went down and I went down very, very deep, very quickly. And then that's also, you know, you were in a time frame that wasn't necessarily as competitive because not every teacher is applying in the middle of the school year. Did you find yourself interviewing at other companies that just didn't work out? Yeah, definitely. Actually, one of the first interviews I took, I was so excited for it. Like I, I aced the recruiter interview. They wanted specifically someone who knew articulate storyline. So I I made them a little thing in storyline. I sent it over. I was so excited. She said I did amazing in the recruitment interview. And then she called me back and said, the hiring manager doesn't want to speak with you because you have teaching experience. She doesn't like count that as instructional design experience. And I got off the phone and I sobbed. It was like my first like chance with a recruiter. And I absolutely like cried. And I was devastated. I faced a lot of rejection, but I just, you know, There's like a phrase I really like now that when I think about it is that rejections are protections. And I I really believe that. There are going to be hiring managers that are going to look at teaching resumes and they're going to say, this is not the person that we're looking for in this role. And my job and every job seeker's job is to help articulate like, this is how my teaching skills translate into the job that you're looking for. This is how I've actually bridged any gaps because I understand those limitations. Those are the conversations that I'm having with hiring managers and recruiters on a weekly basis right now is helping them understand what teachers are bringing to the table as like, as qualified candidates. But then also, There are just going to be people who have those opinions and you're not going to be able, like you can't, what is the phrase, like fit a square peg into like a circle hole or a round hole or whatever, but it's just not going to work. And the best thing that you can do is just say, is there anything that you see that I could do to be a more qualified candidate in your eyes in the future? Take that feedback, grow with that if they are able to give you any but know that not every hiring manager is the same. They all come with their own opinions. It's just like teachers. You know, teachers are going to argue about the best way to like teach fifth grade standards. You could go down a rabbit hole of a thousand different approaches to it. And they all have their own opinions based on, you know, what their students are like or what their own personal preferences are as far as like assessing students or whatever. Like every hiring manager is going to have their own opinion. There are some universal truths 
but don't let that like one you know stinky mean lady say that <laughs> you you're you're not going to be able to get that role to like not keep pushing when you were applying did you ever have to face the like how does your teaching skills translate into this role types of questions in the interview it's been a little while since i was doing a lot of interviews but definitely i had a whole cheat sheet that i had in the background, I had a monitor and a separate screen with like everything I thought they could potentially ask me and how it translated into something that related to their company. I had a whole cheat sheet of everything I thought they could ever potentially ask me about any aspect of my teaching and how it related to a more corporate tone. Oh, yeah, that's really smart. So with this um, customer training specialist role, do you remember what the interview process was like? Was it just, you know, you? it sounds like you interviewed with the actual manager. Was that the only interview and then you landed the job or was there like a series of interviews? I had three interviews. The first interview was pretty standard. It was just a conversation. It was about a half hour with the actual hiring manager because my company is pretty small. The second interview, they told me to prepare a 40-minute presentation on any topic I like in the whole world. And I remember getting that and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to talk about for 40 minutes? And I ended up talking about diversity in climbing because I'm a part-time climbing coach. Like I love rock climbing. And I knew it was something that I could really like really talk about that I cared about. So I prepared a presentation and I it was about 45 minutes. And then they asked me a couple of follow-up questions. And then my last interview was with HR. So I wasn't sure if that interview, I was going to get the job or if they were going to reject me or if it was another interview. It ended up being another interview, which was more like a culture fit interview. That was about 30 minutes. And then I got an offer. I think like over, it was like um, my last interview was on a Friday. So I got my offer on Monday. And that HR phase was probably when they actually talked about your salary. Were you able to negotiate a salary at all? So they gave me a range of salary. Can I talk about the numbers? Should I talk about the numbers? Oh, of course. Yeah. So my salary position was between 70 and 80,000, which was 10 steps, like full 10 years higher on a teaching pay scale. So I jumped 10 years in like less than a year. They offered me 76 and I took it right away. I didn't negotiate because I wanted to leave and I was a little bit afraid to be honest. I had like a call with my sister. She was doing an interview at the job that she is at right now. And she's like, okay, the next call is when they're going to offer me a salary. And I was like, okay, let's get on the phone. Let's talk about like, what what are you going to ask for? How are you going to get to that number? Let's do it. And then she's like, okay, they're calling. She's so excited. She called me back like 10 minutes later. And she's like, so they offered me higher than that. And I just didn't even, I didn't even do it. And I was like, you wasted my time with the salary negotiation. But when it's already higher, it is hard for us, especially as women to like ask for more. I think I've always asked for, if it's a job that I'm really excited about, I'm pretty cautious with my approach and I do a really small amount, but I have always negotiated somewhat of an amount on top of whatever they offered me. And then there's one job where I was already really happy where I was at, where I just shot like this insane number where I said like, Oh, 150,000. And they're like, no, thank you. I mean, it's up to you to have that range. And it sounds like you were really comfortable with the range that you got. Let's talk a little bit about what is your day-to-day as a customer training specialist? What do you do? So my job is really cool. I do a couple different things within the company. I work totally remote. 
Uh, my office is based in New York, but I'm based in Denver, so I'm on a little bit different time zone. So the main thing that I do is I onboard new clients onto the platform. So I work with the customer success team to bring on new clients and help them through the first 90 days of bringing them onto our platform. And so in from like a teacher standpoint, I really just have 10 lessons that I just reuse constantly. So you get really good at those 10 lessons because you're just doing them all the time. Aside from that, I manage the help center and I make videos and I write articles like technical documentation around our product. And I work with other teams. So I work with marketing, I work with product. So anytime there's training needs, I kind of step in and see what kind of collateral we need. So I've I've been able to learn a lot of cool programs. Like I can use Camtasia now, I can use Adobe InDesign. And these were all things I learned on the job. And I feel like for this role, you're a customer training specialist, but you're doing a lot of the work that an instructional designer would do as well. And this is something that you can continue to kind of grow in that area. I feel like people get really stuck in like one job title that they get really excited about and they're only applying for those types of positions. Did you know with this um, particular position that you'd still be creating like e-learning resources or was this something that started to get more like fleshed out as you were um, in the role itself? So my company is in a growth stage. So they're they're still pretty small, but they're rapidly growing. So my team is only three people. So we kind of all got together. We're like, what do our roles even entail? Like, where do we see training going in this company? So we kind of decided to make my role more about the collateral, which means that I get to play around in the help center, make the videos, build build all this this kind of fun stuff that I didn't really expect to do when I first came in the role. It just kind of naturally developed based on what I ended up being good at. I love that. And it's one of the benefits of working in a startup environment is you have these roles that have so many various duties to them. But I also want to think a little bit more about that 10 lessons where you get really good at it. Because I have been in a position, the first role that I got outside of teaching was I was a learning consultant. So I did these professional development trainings, either at school districts or speaking at national conferences. And some of the subject matter of what I was training on, on, you know, surface level is, was a little bit intimidating. Did you see the lessons that you were going to start to like give these onboarding, um, lessons or trainings that you're doing for your clients, did you see them and were you intimidated at first because you were using like a technology platform you were maybe not proficient in at first? Oh my goodness. I was so nervous. So my company works in data and specifically finance. So I work with a lot of big banks. That's mainly who I train as bankers. And I have no background in finance. I don't I am very bad with numbers in general. I never saw myself in a in a fintech kind of role. So my boss, when I first started, gave me a really important piece of advice because he knows that. He knows exactly what kind of background I came from. And he said, your goal is not to be a finance expert, it's to be a product expert. So if they try and steer you away from that, if they ask a difficult question, steer them right back to the product because your job is to teach them how to use this product and you can do that. And I was like, I can do that. So once I, I learned the product and now I'm really comfortable in the product, I, I'm better with the finance questions now, but it's not my job. It's not my role. My job is to teach them how to bring what they know onto our platform. I love that. For me, it was learning to be comfortable with not knowing everything because I was a fifth grade teacher and I felt like I was constantly learning. 
I don't know what, like six or seven different mini lessons every single day and trying to like, no, I know, no, I need to know everything about this state's history or whatever you're like panicking about that you need to know everything about. But like, these are 10 lessons that you just repeat and you get really good at and you do over and over and over again. And then, yeah, knowing that they're subject matter experts, in my case, there were like engineers, like product, the product team. So if it was something that was like over my head, as far as like technical questions, I could just say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm not able to answer that. Here's the team member who can probably answer that for you. And for your role, potentially, you might have like accountants or people who are on your team that are more qualified to answer those technical questions when it comes to like a fintech environment. When you were applying for this role, did they ask you anything about what made you passionate about the company? I'm trying to think. I don't think they asked because to be honest, it's a very weird area of tech. It's very specific. So I don't think there's anyone that's out there that's truly like passionate about data reconciliation. But they did ask me what stood out about the company. And I told them it stood out the fact that their job descriptions were very transparent. They had their salary range. They were very transparent about their interview process. And I felt like they they looked past the obvious things that I didn't know because I came in as a candidate with no background in what they specialize in. And they saw my skill set and they were willing to train me on my deficiencies. That is such a perfect attitude to have as well, because I think that that's one of the like red flags that many hiring managers are seeing from teachers who are transitioning into new careers. Many of them have expressed that there's a room for confidence. These are wonderful candidates. They are highly qualified, but then the overconfidence that some people portray of, I know everything about instructional design. I've been studying this for three full months and I'm capable of doing it. Hiring managers are going to see that and they're going to say, you know, you're going to get eaten alive is like not a nice way to put it, but it's with every single thing that you hear yourself saying, pretend that it's a new teacher. So it's like, oh, I studied teaching for three, three months. Like I know everything there is to be about being a teacher. All the experienced teachers are going to be like, you are going to be eaten alive. Like you, you have to come at it with an attitude of um, self-awareness of, I know that there are some knowledge gaps here because I have not held this role formally or I've only volunteered in these types of positions. And so I do understand that, but like these are the skills that I'm bringing to the table and I'm really confident I'm a fast learner because look at how much I've learned in just three months. So if you give me the opportunity, I'm gonna be able to de demonstrate that kind of proficiency in whatever you put on my plate. But I feel like that is an area where people struggle. You are a great interviewee. Did you find yourself like going down a rabbit hole of like other people's interview questions? Did you find yourself looking at blogs or resources when it came to that? Oh, definitely. I looked up like all the major buzzwords, like the same as we have buzzwords in education. I used to sit on the hiring committee for hiring new teachers. And you listen for those buzzwords that come out depending on what your school model is. And I just kind of looked up corporate buzzwords. And I, I found ways that they actually did apply to me and they actually did fit me. And I I tried to make myself seem like like a piece of clay, like a clearly a teacher, but also understanding of like what they were looking for. That is amazing. And then that 
is something I did not know about you that I feel like is very interesting and probably where a lot of your interview skills are coming is coming from as well. You were on the team that actually interviewed teachers coming in. What types of like questions did you find yourself asking teachers that would red flag them from being able to actually be a teacher? I can't remember. It's been a while, but some of the the red flag answers was anything that was like very overconfident. So like, I can definitely do that. I have experience with this type of kids. Like I'm not worried at all. Like I have no hesitations, like anything that was very like black or white. Because it just demonstrates that there's maybe a lack of awareness of like nothing's black or white and there's always going to be a challenge that you're going to have to overcome. Yeah. And anything that was like very idealistic too. So like, I love kids so much. Like kids are amazing. I can't wait to be in there and like change the world and change the day. Just like anything that was coming from like a lot ideology versus experience. That's really interesting. With your customer training specialist role, I want to pivot back to that a little bit more. Did they hire any other former teachers on your training team? No. So actually, I only work with one woman in Poland and one man in New York. So we're a very, very small team. Were you mainly looking for specific types of companies when you were applying for customer training specialist roles? No, I was looking for anything under that sphere that would be willing to talk to me. So I was really just looking for a starter position. I did not expect to end up in the company that I did. I'm really happy I did. They treat me really well. Is it like something that I plan to do forever? Probably not. I want to I definitely want to grow there for a couple more years. And it's a great company, but I never imagined myself to end up in a data management sphere at all. Do you do a lot of professional development in your own role? Like, are you upskilling even in your own current position right now? Yeah, they've been so willing to upskill me. They, I have a personal learning budget, which they are very keen that I use. So I've purchased a lot of finance courses on Udemy. They've given me a ton of internal training, which most other people that go like that get into the company don't get they were just extra willing to work with me to help me get the background that I needed to be successful. I love that. I know that I was given like a stipend for both of the companies. And I think it feels a little different than what teachers are used to when it comes to personal development, because often you are given somewhat of a choice you're given your own autonomy of choosing what you think is the most interesting as opposed to your admin is like, here is your mandatory, you're learning something during this timeframe. And there are those types of trainings with any sort of job, but for some reason it feels a little different. And maybe that's just based on like, I liked these positions more and I felt more excited about learning. I was in a better place mentally. So I was more receptive to these weekly trainings. Do you find yourself in the same cycle of going to professional development and actually being more receptive to them? I think the fact that I feel respected and I feel like I'm treated as an adult and not only an adult, like a professional, it makes me so much more willing to take the professional development and actually learn from it because I felt felt when I was teaching so it was very demeaning, our professional development and just the way it was conducted and the way that I felt like my education was valued in education versus in a corporate world is very different. What advice would you give to anyone who's listening to this, who's looking for like training types of positions on on what they should potentially be doing to make themselves stand out? 
I would say you need to learn the technology that lives in the corporate world. So there's a lot of free trials. Definitely learn the platforms that are out there that are really big in instructional design or training. And you can just look them up. There's a ton. Get really comfortable with one or two so you can put them on your resume. And in interviews, I wouldn't necessarily focus on talking about how we teach students because I found, at least in my experience interviewing, is that interviewers didn't find that relevant to the position. I only talked about how I was able to train adults and what I knew about teaching adults and what I knew about how adults learn. And I felt like that was really helpful. Yeah, it's so hard to like get yourself away from using all of the great experience of like lessons you've given students. But many of these roles, they're really specifically looking for, okay, how did you train other teachers? Or how did you walk people through even the trainings that you did for like your parents are going to be more relevant and what they're looking for more so than like any of the stuff that you did with students. Yeah, definitely. One question that I really like asking people at the end is just to share, Katie, what is one thing that you learned about yourself during this entire journey? I learned that I can definitely do anything I set my mind to. I don't plan to work in training forever. I actually think I eventually want to move into pre-sales. I love working in tech. But now I know that I have the capability to do that. If I want to work in professional services, I know that I can take my skill set and apply it in any area that fits me. And I know that jobs don't need to be forever. I really thought that I was going to teach forever. I thought that that was the only thing I was going to be good at, which makes me so sad hearing me say those words because I that's not true. Like I, If I want to completely flip careers four times, I can learn those careers. Like I can do, I can do whatever is best for me at any time in my life. I don't need to marry myself to one career. I love that. I feel like that was something that I really struggled with as well. And then once you like rip the bandaid off, it gets so much easier to envision yourself going through the same crappy process, as long as you kind of know what to expect as far as the roadblocks go and what interviews are like. Thank you, Katie, so much for coming on. This has been such a great conversation. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to speak to everyone. It's really been fun. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like really honored. I used to listen to this podcast every day and I would cry on the way to work and I would cry on the way home. And it's like, it really feels full circle for me because I feel like I, if I could talk to myself six months ago, I would never like imagine that I'd be at the place I am today. I never imagined I'd be on the podcast at all. I never even imagined I'd be like the person I am too. I'm so happy for you. It sounds like you're in such a great place and you deserve it. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to Katie for coming on and sharing her story. One of the things that I always love to hear that I heard from Katie is that she found a lot of support in listening to the Teacher Career Coach podcast through her journey, through her job hunt, and it inspired her to continue to keep pushing on. If you are listening right now and you are struggling and you don't feel like it's ever going to happen for you, I want to just take a short second to remind you that your dreams are possible. Every single person thought that it would never happen for them, even like a week before it did happen for them. So you cannot control the timeline. You are not going to be able to control when you get your one yes but you can control your actions and how you continue to move forward and how you continue to believe in yourself. And then once you do reach your goals, 
we do love to hear from you. It helps us so much to continue to connect with you even after you've left the classroom. You know, we've gotten DMs on our Instagram at Teacher Career Coach on a daily basis from former teachers who have used either Teacher Career Coach Podcast or the Teacher Career Coach course, and it's helped them land their new role. And we want to hear from them. We want to hear from you. Knowing that our work is making this huge impact and getting to learn all about you and hear all of your stories makes our work truly so meaningful and so please don't forget to reach out and let us know when you do finally get that one yes it means the world to us so thank you so much for being a listener of the teacher care coach podcast and thank you so much for continuing to share this resource with other teachers who are looking for this type of support and we'll see you on the very next episode of the teacher career coach podcast mm-hmm.